Listen well, here, whisker pusses. No. It's your podcast, your eye out. <laughs> oh, your face. <laughs> whisker pusses. That was a funny word from this. Did you, epi- was that in from, your notes? Did you take that? I did write something about whisker pusses as a word for sure. I've been kind of bantying about like I want I want a spicier intros because I was so jazzed from look who's talking now. I felt like I was going to lapse into a Judy Tenuta like, hey, pigs, <laughs> happy holiday season. <laughs> like I wanted hey, a pigs. more <laughs> a more in your face greeting. Judy Tenuta. Uh, yeah. One of our characters used the term uh, or you said, listen, here, a whisker puss. And I was like, oh, I'm taken by that. I'm, ri- I'm writing that down. Whisker puss. <laughs> I was convinced. I was convinced that that was how you were going to do the intro too. That you were like as taken by the term whisker puss as I was. No, I just wanted to welcome everybody to the second part of our following two hour conversation about look who's talking now. (laughs) It's I don't think we really covered all our bases and I think we still have a lot to say about the film. So we decided to shelve uh, Miracle on 34th Street. Psych. And continue talking about Look Who's Talking Now. I hope you like uh, podcasts that are longer than the movies that they are talking about. No, we're going to talk about Miracle on 34th Street. Yep. This is You'll Podcast Your Eye Out, a 25 holiday movie, 25 day podcast advent calendar. My name is Joe. My name is Jess. And I guess that's the, that's the podcast. We're done. Bye. <laughs> I forgot how that goes from here. How are you feeling about our our marathon of uh, holiday movies at this point and our marathon of podcasting? Considering that we had never published or recorded a podcast before doing this and now we're on episode four um, and we're, we're not almost one per day. Getting there. We've been behind since the beginning. It's really hard to do this and edit it and also work a job. Why did we decide that we would do a full podcast every day for 25 days? Why did we decide to do that? I had conceptualized it as, oh, this is podcast boot camp. This is something that in grand fashion, I have overshot my goals. I've overestimated myself or I've gone from zero to a hundred overnight this might be a shock to our listeners that it, that this is indeed our first podcast this is our like- I don't think it's a shock to anybody <laughs> at all not whatsoever it's, no yeah no we, we are little baby podcasters and this is our first podcast it's best you probably think of this as a outsider art style podcast or a folk art style podcast this is the kind of podcast that you would find while driving in the, the deep rural outskirts on the side of the road, and it's made out of tin cans. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's, oh, well, charming for them. You asked me how I was feeling, and I wanted to say today's a very special, w- weird episode because it took, um, we had a, a monster. Well, you had a monster of a time editing our last episode. Well, it was... You were in the editing bay for what I would consider an inordinate amount of time for a very, very long episode where we apparently had a lot to say about Look Who's Talking Now. It was a, your favorite words are um and uh. <laughs> you might notice that that episode's a little more choppy than the other episodes. It's a bit of a Frankenstein of an episode. But you know what? You're also really enthusiastic about that particular film. and Much to the chagrin of, I think, other people or 
I did a quick look at some other podcast reviews of this movie, and uh, they're not. You can pretty much take any podcast review of Look Who's Talking Now and then listen to our episode, and it will be the anti episode of that, where <laughs> they'll be talking and they're like, This scene's stupid. And you can cut to us going, This scene's cute, or me over and over again. This scene's adorable. I love it. We're, we're accidentally falling into what I literally said as a joke, which is a further podcast episode about look who's talking now whoops so yeah okay all right uh, blah, blah, back to <laughs> so we watched miracle on 34th street the last episode we said that we were going to watch the middle version last episode i i don't like getting things wrong and i got a lot of things wrong i claimed that the good one was in the middle and there is no good one in the middle what there is is this one that we watched the original from 1947 and then there's two I would only assume, like, you know, kind of questionable TV movies in the middle. And then the one that you saw in the 90s. Yeah, 94. Yeah, that I haven't seen either. And I had never seen this one either. So I have, so I've seen the 94. That would be something that, that could have been talked about. Also, which is, speaking of dumb shit I said at the end of that episode, I was yeah. also just like, or we were both like, let's not watch the black and white one. And it's like, I just want to, that's not us. Like, that's not. You know, I I appreciate film. I'm a film person. I didn't mean to. And I feel especially embarrassed that I like I was oh, this movie's this movie's amazing. Like I love it. Like I I feel like I took a pot shot at it before even knowing what was up. We were like just loving so hard on Look Who's Talking Now while making fun of the fact that we were gonna have to watch like a multi award winning film. I feel embarrassed like really uh pushing uh look who's talking now is just like oh this is a classic christmas movie and then we watched a real classic christmas movie and i'm like what am i what am oh, i like yeah. this is what a christmas movie is like Ugh. all right so we watched miracle on 34th street the 1947 version the original version and why don't you just do you have the imdb i do in front i have it right in front of me do you want to tell us a little bit about who, you know who made it who's in it not that it's an old movie, so we're not going to have any immediate knowledge for a lot of these. I actors. might. Hey, come on! I know about old movies. Ouch! Excuse me. Jesus. I, I'm not going to. <laughs> oh, you know what I like? That right out of the gate, we both mistook Maureen O'Hara for Rosalind Russell and His Girl Friday. Like yeah. we collectively looked at each other. That's true. And like I, or again, another mind read moment where I was just like, "Oh, is that?" And it's like we both knew that that was what we were gonna say. Yeah, I thought it was her at first for sure. I was so proud of you, and then I was just like, "That's weird. I shouldn't be proud of you." It's not like you nailed it and you knew who that was, but I was proud of you for making the same mistake I did. <laughs> I was beaming, beaming with pride for you because you don't normally recognize people. I'm glad I could fail as hard as you. <laughs> You're failing up when you fail like me because I like, hey, that's because I'm I am very good at recognizing actors in movies like you can have someone someone's face just flash on the screen for like 2.5 seconds. And I'm and I'm like, oh, hey, that's blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you're eerily creepily good at that, I would say. And that's what happened with when I saw. Oh, for fuck's sake. That's what I think now I'm blanking. That's when I saw Fred Mertz. When I saw Fred Mertz for My Love Lucy. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Fred Mertz is in this. Yeah, William William Frawley. He plays the DA. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's not a lawyer, but a, a law guy. So, well, sure. And Yeah, yes. I think he's the district attorney. It's really kind of funny to imagine Fred Mertz. Like, that's his job on uh, I, I Love Lucy. 
He leaves the day. I don't remember what Fred Mertz did on. Oh, they're the the uh, they're the couple. They're the they're the land landlords of they're the building. The so he's like the they're the, they're the neighbors, but they're also their landlords. Oh. Like he's the handyman. Of the, they're the couple landlords of the building. Mm, yep. So they're they're parasites. <laughs> yeah, as I it's less cute now. Yeah. So I was and I looked up. Well, I or I you know it's even though I was like pretty fucking confident right when I saw him right at the beginning, I still had to look it up that it was William Frawley, and I was already convinced it was him because when I was scrolling through all of his movie credits that were in and around this time, like looking for him in the wiki, yeah. he had like every year in and around this time, he did like eight movies. So it was just like, he's definitely in Miracle 34th Street because like the year this year, he's in every movie. He must have had a he's lot of- so many movies. A lot of debt to pay off or something. It's not like today when you're on a movie set for months and months and months. Like this is like, you know, they put this in the can in a, a couple of days probably, right? And that's why the modern movie is so good right now. And that's why the quality's been skyrocketing. Because yeah. <laughs> we take our time, we think it out. Yeah, that's why. Uh, movies are amazing these days because of focus groups. <laughs> and because we take forever to film them, yes. Not because uh, actors get this idea like, ooh, Hawaii, that sounds nice. I wouldn't mind filming there for six months oh we should set our podcast in hawaii if that's how it works yeah is that how it works can i yeah can i put a request in like a safe by the bell style brady's go to hawaii episode of you'll podcast your eye out a christmas in july episode where we're podcasting from a luxurious uh beachside resort perhaps find the gofundme in the uh show notes yeah support us on patreon which is coming sure yeah Yeah. Uh, so this film you know what opens or are we done talking about we didn't talk about who's in it or anything let's do that we talked about how maureen o'hara is in it because That's we true. both talked about how we or i talked about how we mistook her for rosalind russell yes maureen o'hara is not rosalind russell who plays santa because he's good edmund gwen edmund gwen is which i i mean santa. again i gotta admit my ignorance i don't know but he was amazing he, my favorite santa so far easily yep he's the nicest santa anyway yeah, he's the most the most santa santa yeah he's the most uh chaotic neutral santa that we've probably seen so far (laughs) if i had to guess the santa's alignment (laughs) he's chaotic neutral (laughs) yeah yeah. santa alignment oh we should definitely make once we have enough santas yeah fill in a chart chart. because well we'll have to like figure out like what what would constitute a lawful santa because it's like there's or we're quickly learning in this crash course that there's laws to these movies there's motifs there's themes there's laws and there are rules and things that just keep coming up we're only Absolutely. what we're only what is this episode four? We're only four movies in and we're discovering Feels like that. Yeah. Four hundred. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, this is did I already mention why it's a bizarro episode? Because this is the first time that we watched the movie the night before and we're recording during the day. Where normally we watch the movie in the afternoon, evening, and then record in the evening. Which is why we've barely talked about the movie so yeah, far. Yeah, which is I'm why still this is... <laughs> desperately trying to look it up and remember what happened. I didn't think it would affect me this much. Like, I for sure remember the movie, but then I also kind of don't remember the movie. It'll all come back to us or we'll make it up. I was rewatching some clips and some of it came back to me and I was just, I, I, I don't know. Or I'm just going to keep on repeating that I enjoyed it where it was, it was good. It reminds me of how the first time that we, we had put off together watching Citizen Kane. And then the first time we watched Citizen Kane, we're like, oh, this is good. Like, I feel oh, like yeah. the hot take was that Citizen Kane's not... It's like, oh, well, it's like mm, this prestigious movie, but it's not very. And I was like, this is fucking good. Like, I don't care if that makes me a fucking idiot or whatever. I can see why people put it on lists. 
this was this was the root of the comment that I was making. Where I was like, oh, we don't want to watch the black and white one. Is sometimes you watch an old movie and it's rough. Sometimes movies have been around so long and been referenced so many times that the like the idea of the movie is going to be better than ever watching it. I would, yeah, like, I mean, I'd put this up here as one of the most parodied, like, I've seen so many homages, so many nods to this. Like, even though I hadn't seen it, I definitely felt like I had seen it. Santa on trial. Yeah. What's the other, Inherit the Wind is the other big trial movie, right? And that's the the monkey trial, right? Yeah. And there's a, I was thinking about that when we were watching this film, because it is like Santa on trial trying to legally prove the existence of this supernatural person and like definite parallels. We've already talked about like themes of belief and themes of like believing in God is, is in these films never explicitly, but always just because you have to believe in Christmas and that's just a substitute for like, faith in in religion kind of so it's the opposite of the monkey if you don't want yeah if you don't want to make a religious movie or a movie that's really dealing with religion it's like oh you could just take santa claus as like a little you just gotta believe that's the theme of a lot of these so you feel like there's a lot of a lot more or again you think like all of the santa stuff is taking the christ out of christmas and it's just like no this is teaching me like a lot about faith and christianity every time i'm watching somebody uh make this uh well, you just believe in Santa Claus because some things take faith. Yes, Virginia. Tell me more about who's in this film. Who? There's the lawyer character, Santa's lawyer, not Cary Grant. The young upshot lawyer who decides to defend. Yeah, not Cary Grant. Yeah. It's John Payne. But it's funny. Like, it's just <laughs> he doesn't look that much like Cary Grant. It's just one of those movies where you're like, this could have been Cary Grant. It's the same joke where it's just like John Goodman can't save every movie, just the ones he's in, where it's just like, oh, like it was just like, oh, I kind of wish Cary Grant was in this movie. Why? He doesn't need to be like, really like John, John Payne's doing a good job. <laughs> like I didn't, I expected to see Cary Grant in this role or this is, I don't know, you could say easily, right? You could just imagine this being like a Cary Grant role, right? Santa's in a pretty precarious situation. He can't really be picky or choosy about the lawyer he gets. Like court appointed. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Appointed for you if you don't yeah. have one. We have a Jean Lockhart playing the judge, and little Natalie Wood is Susan Walker, the little girl. Oh, Natalie yep. Wood. Yep. Um, I like how this film opens up with jangle bells. We know it's Christmas right away, and it's a Christmas film. Yep. Um, and we have this like cinema verite walk through New York City with this mysterious man you only see the his the back of his body and he's just kind of like wandering through new york city and except for the jingle bells in the music you would have no idea that this is a christmas movie at yeah first. no it doesn't kind of open it's got kind of a i don't know how i would describe it like not like a stark opening but just yeah or it's just like walking the city streets of new york where it's like you switch up jingle bells for like some gritty like it could be a uh spy noir or something right yeah yeah if you just switched up the music and so that's like that's why Jingle Bells is there to let you know. Like, are there? Oh, any, by the way, this is a Christmas movie. Are there any Santa Claus spy movies? That will have to be season two if there are any. Santa, I mean, Santa Claus is doing a bit of infiltration into people's houses, so I mean, you can. He's doing a bit of. I was gonna say espionage, but that's not the definition of espionage. I, I guess he t- he attempts some corporate sabotage in this film. Um, what do you, I really want, actually wanted to talk about the first scene with Santa, um, where he's harassing the, the he's guy. He's berating a drunk. Yeah. No, even before that, oh. he's, uh, harassing a clerk who's 
making a, like like it's display in the store window and he's like yelling at him because he got the order of the reindeer wrong oh yeah 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 and he's just like tapping on the window and talking to him and the clerk's like uh i don't i don't know i can't hear you and then eventually the clerk opens up the the door so santa can harass him and be like you're doing it all wrong you don't yeah. know christmas you idiot and I was just wondering, like, would you, because you've worked a fair amount of retail jobs in your life, would you ever let a customer into a store early to, like, tell you how to do your job? I did have a bit of, like, where it's like I could feel my apprehension spiking just from, like, the tap on the window where it's just, like, you know, because if you're inside working on something and a customer's frantically tapping on a window to get your attention, usually some sort of wildness is coming your way. So, um, but to be honest, though, like, his whole just, like, <laughs> it's not... I mean, you can, I think you can maybe scan the shopkeeper's face and he's trying, his expression is definitely like, am I in danger from this person? Like the, just the nature of how weird the request is. I think I would be at least somewhat bemused by it. It's very hard to tell in these old movies how anybody would react in the real world. Or I don't know, or I was convinced he was Santa right away. Like, I don't know. I don't need any <laughs> primer into these Christmas movies. So I was just like, he's Santa, I'm with him. Where it's just like the shopkeeper doesn't get it. <laughs> Who's the reindeer expert here? Even though we're not, like, we're supposed to, to a certain extent in this film, have the shadow of a doubt whether or not this man is Santa. He's Santa. I am I am putty in director George, George Seaton's hands where he just had to show, like, the back of Santa's head with a fedora on walking down a city street. And I'm like, that's Santa. He has every right to harass the shopkeeper and give him reindeer lessons. Santa has hit the streets on his crusade to save Christmas and he's just going he's looking around eyeing eyeing everywhere around the world or in New York City looking for people who are doing Christmas wrong he's on a mission yeah just like that's wrong that's wrong where do you think he like so he just came directly from the North Pole is the idea like we find Santa in no he came from a mental asylum (laughs) that's I'm upset I'm I'm upset that you said that did he did we is there an actual scene where we see him walking out of an no, asylum? He, it's established through the dialogue that the there's a doctor, you know, the doctor the very handsome doctor with the very cleft chin who got the radiology equipment at the end. I definitely remember the radiology thing because I who because that scene was confusing too. <laughs> Obvi- I'm not sure if I took a note on it, but I should have. Or it's one of those things that happened, and it's that sometimes happens in an old movie like this, where it's like, ah, oh, fuck, like I don't really understand what happened there, but I feel obligated or to talk about it. So the back- it's so nutty. Santa's background kind of unfolds throughout the movie, and they the store that eventually Santa gets a job at, you do a background on check on him, and they list his previous address as his hospital where he was a resident, and. They contact the doctor. The only the- previous address that I remember seeing is on the little HR card that yep, I think Santa fills out for himself. Oh, no. This address just says North Pole, doesn't it? No, it does not. What? Did we watch the same movie? Why don't I? Again, this is why I don't remember. I don't remember the movie. Or I remember bits and pieces, but not what you're talking about. This is a theme throughout it where it's just like, is he? Is he Santa? Yeah, is, is he... he Santa really? Of course he's Santa. Or again, I'm I'm putty in the director's hands. I believe that he was Santa right away, and I missed a lot of the subplot that like affirmed that he came from an insane asylum. I assume he just like came in on a northern breeze, and he's found himself. He came in on the northern winds and found himself on the streets of New York. He definitely has that vibe, and you yeah. you just have such You're a pro to feel that. Santa 
bias that you refuse to hear any evidence to the contrary. I feel very exposed in my pro my pro Santa bias, which I guess has been apparent for some time now. So there's that parade, basically. So Santa comes <laughs> that parade. It's the it's the Macy's. It's the Macy's Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving parade. Day parade, which is the uh, a big New York deal that heralds in Christmas. Oh no, did they cancel it this year because of COVID? Probably. I assume so. And I, even if they did have it this year, it's hard to imagine that it would be as popular as it is in this film. Because like uh, Santa comes across the parade Santa who is getting drunk and is unable to perform his duties as Santa. And this is another case of Santa telling Santa splaining Christmas, basically. <laughs> he does a lot of Santa splaining in this film. And... The the yeah the the other Santa the parade Santa is too drunk and Santa takes over basically he demands to take the role and get up on that sleigh oh I also wanted to talk about the the whipping scene because what really draws Santa into this this drunk Santa's uh, inability to perform is that he cannot whip the reindeer properly and Santa comes over and he's like let me show you how to whip a reindeer and he has perfect form. And I didn't know that Santa had to whip his reindeer. I guess I've in the classic images of him, you know, flying through the sky, etc. Sometimes he's portrayed with a, a whoop or a, a whip or lasso or whatever. But usually he just has the reins, right? Well, we've seen lots of portrayals of Santa like talking to the reindeer like they're sentient, you know? So it's like like they're not yeah. horses. So I mean... So this is a little bit more of a, I guess uh, this he, is, well, this is pre like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So we're just supposed to believe that these are, these are basically like horses. So, I mean, if they're, you know, pack animals, then the idea is he's got his riding crop and yeah. that we have a little bit more of a, uh, a, a man and beast relationship. I mean, why even bother asking Rudolph to lead your sleigh if you're just going to whip him? You could have just whipped him into leading your sleigh. <laughs> Come on. So he he gets he takes over the role of Santa in the parade, and that's how Sa- Santa Claus, aka Chris Kringle, ingratiates himself into the Macy's corporate structure. <laughs> they they establish that uh, later on in the movie that like most Santas are drunk, like most Santas are drunkards. So I love that it's like, well, this Santa's so fucking drunk he can't do it though. The Santa's just so so drunk he can't even wave to children f- from atop a parade float, and it's like that's pretty drunk. Parades happen pretty early in the day too, so he would have had. Yeah, to like oh yeah, the Santa, the Santa had to start early. hitting it early. He just had stage fright, and he was really anxious. Speaking of Macy's, so it's like the two department stores in here are Macy's and Gimbel's, which I guess are two department stores in New York that were like pretty much right on top of each other and in direct competition in one another for a really really long time. Like also another theme through this is that uh, people have been uh, or commercialism has been at the heart of what we understand to be Christmas for a very very long time and critique of that commercialism at the heart of Christmas. Yeah, I was thinking that too. This whole film is about how Christmas is getting too commercial, and this film's from 1947. Yeah. So like, if Christmas was too commercial in 1947, what? What the hell have we been yeah, what doing are we trying for the to return to? 70 years. Well, I mean, again, this movie is about uh, like just as much about, well, not just as much about, but it features dueling department stores. And it's like, ooh, remember how much the department store used to be at the center of like suburban life? Or I guess urban life in this instance, but it's just like department stores as also a Christmas feature because we're going to see department stores featured 
in a few other Christmas movies that we're going to encounter. If there is like a modern version of Miracle on 34th Street, would like Santa have to ingratiate himself into, I don't know, like Amazon or like Wish.com or something like that? In, and have to transform Ooh, their that's company. a bad oh god holy hell that's a shitty ass hallmark christmas movie like two two like amazon workers <laughs> around the holidays <laughs> i don't want to see that one amazon defends santa in the supreme court <laughs> we have so many intersecting things here with like the post office and department stores and there's a there's a weird jumble here like i almost felt like this this there was a some secret message that I was maybe not getting in this movie. Some geopolitics from yeah. 1947 that yeah, were yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, that's like you were saying, like the Santa Santa explaining. <laughs> but it, the main thing also is that, like again, the Santa is an agent of chaos. People cannot people cannot handle what I would describe as this guy's radical Santa politics. What what would he's you... a very Jesus figure where yeah. he comes along and he's Santa is this... a Jesus like figure. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to just toss that off, but I mean, yeah, Santa's a Jesus-like figure, especially in, in this instance. Pretty hot take. Where he shows up and he's like reinterpreting, or it's, everybody's in a tizzy about Christmas. Everybody's excited about Christmas. Christmas is established, and and Santa comes along. He's more Christmas than Christmas, you know. Like he he's doing everything right. He's very Christmassy. Yeah, he's just, but also just, he's he's exactly as you would imagine a Santa would be. Like, he's so convincing. He just he does the right good thing as Santa. Like, he's, or people are just kind of, like, both blown away and bemused. Like, oh, that's something the real Santa would say. <laughs> Santa is a lifestyle, and Santa is a mood. Santa is a ideology, and he embodies it, for sure. Yeah. So, like, the idea that there has to be uh, some kind of corporate equity where stores share their customers is like a really big part of uh, Santa's ethos in this film. The scene where we cut to like the heads of the other departments and they're saying, oh, like if we don't have a product, just like being honest with customer and sending them to another store. That's just wow. Why like he's literally looking around the boardroom like he's like, yeah, goodwill towards people and, and, and being nice. Gary, why the fuck didn't you think of that? You're fired. Yeah, Santa's good idea got some guy fired, basically. <laughs> Essentially, are you yeah. so where he's just like, yeah, just like not treating the customer like garbage. Why didn't why didn't enough, uh, any of us corporate fat cats fucking think of that? Santa basically takes over the marketing side of Macy's as well as performing the duty of the 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 Macy's Santa. He's so successful at the parade. Everyone loves him at the parade so much. He's uh, <laughs> he's <sighs> he's slaying it. You look so upset that I interrupted you for that joke. And it's like, what? what? Come on. I mean, it's devastatingly true. Yes, he he's doing so well. And then he, there's just like a he has a stage somewhere and there's just throngs and throngs, thousands of people lined up to see Santa like he is a beetle. He is a rock star in this film. This was a wild crowd scene to see in 1947. Like I was just like, oh, that's a lot. Like where's... I guess anytime you see a large group of people back then, where it's just like, did, they, did that many people exist back then? So naturally, uh, Macy's got to sign him up to be this the small Santa. Or I guess not mall Santa, because they don't really have shopping malls in 1940s. No, like I said, this is a department store. Yeah, department and I feel like that's store. like, a it's fancier. There's a, it's bigger. There's like, it's a really important distinction. So. And Santa has his own way of doing things. He's an older man. And that's why it's kind of hard to enter a new company. 
because you're not as adaptable. But Santa just has sheer personality and he starts making changes. Or people are just blown away by how Santa he is. That's what it is. Like people are just like, (laughs) again, they're blown away by his radical Santa politics where he actually like practices what he preaches and... Well, he's disturbed. They're disturbed by the how convinced that he is Santa. Yeah, that he won't let up the. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, his radical Santa politics. Well, our lead female character here is just like, I wrote down that she was just as. No women are like this. Like, she's so skeptical and joyless. (laughs) Oh, she's very Soviet in her outlook on life. That's what I've observed. (laughs) She doesn't believe in anything. She's very nihilistic and needs her daughter to be just as unbelieving uh, at the same way. She kind of reminded me of the uh, the mother from the Santa Claus, where it's like, again, you pull your kid aside, where it's like, you fucking talking to my kid about Santa Claus? Like, <laughs> yep, this she's is- a militant, like, don't fucking tell my kid to believe in Santa Claus, one of those moms. And it's like, okay. Anti-Christmas parents. Anti-Christmas parents. Yeah. yeah. I thought that might been might have been some of the geopolitics of the film, because... She she does have like a we believe in nothing. It's an intellectual. She is an independent divorcee. Like she is a very modern woman for 1947. There's almost like dueling strong logics in this movie where she's like Santa Claus doesn't exist, obviously, to the face of Santa Claus, who is like, but I'm here, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's ver- two very both. I mean, obviously, Santa, I mean, I'm not going to say, never mind. I was going to say Santa obviously doesn't exist. But then I can't do this podcast and say <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to make an edit there. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I don't want to hear that on our Christmas podcast. Or uh, one, of, one of our friends asked if they could listen to this podcast around their kids because of uh, swearing. And it's like, we can have all the like, swearing that you want on this podcast, but don't fucking tell kids Santa doesn't exist then we're really going to get our listenership down. I would love to listen to like a serialized style, like a serial style podcast where they step-by-step prove the existence of Santa. Doris, which is Maureen O'Hara's character, is, as far as I can tell, the head of running parades. That's her, like she's the Macy's parade coordinator. Yeah, her job was unclear. Yeah, she's a, she is the head of events for Macy's, basically. And she's a divorcee. She's very modern. She has... No gods. And she has a daughter. What did you think of the daughter? Natalie Wood. Oh, no. <laughs> She's good. I mean, good good child actress, obviously. A precocious child. Yeah. Classic precocious child actor uh, who also, in the, at the beginning of this movie, is very much a Soviet and doubts and questions everything yeah they have the hardened kind of feel of people who've been in line for beat rations like she has a really nice apartment and is like doing really well too where it's like she almost seems like the kind of person who would be a little more like buying into the system i don't know or it's like (laughs) again we've associated that it's like christmas and capitalism are like hand in hand or it's like or it's like christmas and capitalism are in hand in hand and that's good but then christmas is too commercial and that's bad but but commercialism has always been at the heart of christmas so Whatever. <laughs> Doris is an intellectually nihilistic capitalist. So she's best basically Ayn Rand, as far as I can tell. Oh no, yeah. <laughs> but she comes around. It's good. At least at least we watch her get her get her figure it out in the end. Yeah. By the end of the movie, she's uh completely stripped of all the things that make her her. Like her she's basically gonna get married and move out and uh to the out of the city and 
to a suburban housewife life. So she comes around to the Christmas way of life. Yeah. She abandons her, her ideals pretty readily. I don't know. I think, no, she's the holdout, right? She takes a while to get convinced. I guess she's practically the last person who he's, comes to believe in Santa Claus. Santa sees her as the get. Like, he's, <laughs> like, when the when the daughter believes, he's like, ah, shit, I, but I really wanted the mom. Like, I just, if I could get her, I could do anything. You know who really wanted to get her was the lawyer. Mm. As far as I can tell, I'm not actually sure he believed in Santa. He just knew that that convincing people yeah, to believe hard. in Santa would allow him to to get with the mom. The lawyer who's defending Santa is just like smirk, just kind of smirking the whole time. And you can't tell what's in it for him, kind of, other than or what his motivations really are, other than. His motivation is to 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 uh, to have sex with Doris, as far as I can tell. He's he's our rabid anti Santa hater. Like he or he's, I think he's trying to get under her skin. Exactly. At first he tries to get to become friends with the daughter because he says Oh the, yeah, I forgot all the, that from the beginning. The oh, way boy. to the way to a woman is through her daughter. Woo! That was a quite quite the strategy. I hadn't seen that pickup artist YouTube video yet. Also, we've established that he's just taken her to the zoo. Like he's uh Dor- doris and fred are neighbors that's how they know each other and he's the daughter goes and hangs out with him yeah, yeah. you know just a bachelor man who hangs out with young children yep, nothing unsupervised wow could ever okay be wrong well with i that. mean he's got the big window where you can see the parade so like in the scene that we're watching it's there's there's this idea like well she's gone over there to see the parade and well, i guess it's not an early green screen but it's very clearly just like superimposed like early early float footage yeah it's probably yeah. just like a. Uh, they're looking at nothing we've, we we have these two actors who are looking at nothing and pretending that they're watching the parade but we're supposed to believe that he's got this massive 50 inch picture window where they've got just this mwah, beautiful view of the parade out over a park it's really good out over cent- central park i assume right 34th street isn't it i don't know is it obvious that we have no idea of the layout of New York City? I think Manhattan. it was funny when I uh, texted one of our buddies to tell him that we were doing Miracle on 34th Street and it opened up a hyperlink and gave her an option to open that in Google Maps and go there. So they get a Christmas bonus like the for finding the Santa. And it's oh, like, yeah. remember Christmas bonuses? <laughs> do, do they still exist? Do companies ever the actual expression he uses uh, is that you'll find uh, on your paychecks, you'll find a, a practical expression of my gratitude, which was a phrase that slayed me. That's what I'm going to call every single gift I give from now on. That's what uh, people call requests for like money on their OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking a little bit about uh, what you were saying about Radical Santa and his friendship with the, the custodian. Alfred. Yeah, so you're saying uh, something about I was just <laughs> how his radical radical Santa politics come out in this scene. Well, we see two Santas. These are two. Yes, it's, he's a, it's a fellow comrade Santa. One Santa coming to another, and Chris Kringle, our our hero Santa, it quickly identifies Alfred as a kindred spirit and someone. It's also kind of funny because uh, for for however much that this Santa has kind of like this anti-commercialism point of view. He's also very Victorian in his mannerisms. So it's kind of fun watching him like hobnobbing with this working class Santa for a little bit. Oh, yeah. But they really identify with each other. And this is where we kind of get the main theme of the movie where like Alfred, who's like this working class Santa, he's like, yeah, waste is the commercialism. (laughs) And (laughs) His accent slayed me. 
He was like one of the little rascals. Certainly. Or I already had a Newsies accent. So they have this conversation where they establish that, you know, like uh, Christmas is every year getting worse and worse and commercialism is taking over. What <laughs> Another thing I thought was really funny about this scene is that after they're like, oh, we're best friends now. We're both Santas and Santa has to go off. Uh, to do his job he's like oh i have this this piece of paper that i uh he crumples up i can't remember what the paper is that he crumples up <laughs> i don't know it's like a uh, i want to say a betting receipt yeah but it's like, probably <laughs> and not. Uh, he's just like what do i do with this and and alfred off he's like put it on the ground i get bored of sweeping up dust so uh, like santa gives him the gift of garbage <laughs> <laughs> merry christmas albert oh and you think about it like the um we're seeing a scene here with uh, Santa class struggle. Like we see two classes of Santa. Yeah. We see two, two authentic, le- like two authenticity levels of Santa. And we also are seeing intergenerational Santas. Because later on when he asks Albert how old he is, he says 17. And I swear to God, I thought he was going to say 42. Yeah, he's a, a pretty hard 17 for sure. <laughs> it's just the way some people look back then in old movies where it's just like, well, again, look at William Farrelly. He looks fucking old. Like, if you looked up, I don't want to look up how old he is. I assume he's probably only, like, in his 40s here. He looks like he's 97. He's the kind of guy who probably always looked pretty old, for yeah, sure. Yeah, like, that's yeah. the joke, right? Like, or even when uh, the woman, Vivian, I can't remember the actress name, but Vivian was supposed to play his wife on I Love Lucy. is like, who's going to believe that I'm married to this old fucking fart? Oh, that poor woman. <laughs> yeah. We're kind of jumping all over the place, but going back. Jumping all over the place is our new style because yeah. I don't like how li- how the, the, the that was too linear. Going too linear is what got us in trouble with Loki's talking now. It's true. <laughs> um, I was thinking about the exchanges between Santa and the little girl. What's her Does name? Does Santa literally say to these are his two gets, the little girl and and Doris? But he literally uh, he says something like to you, like I sought you out as an experiment, like I. Like she's the get because he has an exchange with her in the end when she finally does believe in Santa where he's just like, I basically, I sought you out because you're bitter as shit. And I knew that if I could get you to believe in Santa Claus, I could get anybody to believe in Santa Claus. <laughs> so it's like also experiments are also. I guess it depends on your perspective on whether or not this Santa is the real Santa. Either it's just a giant coincidence and he is just someone who delusionally thinks he's Santa and accidentally came across a parade that got him hired by Macy's and then revolutionizes the company and they just believe him or he actually is Santa and he planned it from the start. Either way, it's weird that he's wandering the streets of New York looking to, looking to fight people who don't like Christmas enough. It's weird that he decided to do this and he decided this is where it has to happen on the streets of Manhattan. He's very militant about the authenticity of, of Christmas. Because he's the expert and the authority. Or I like when the uh, like the the sleazy toy guy comes over and he's like, "Oh, can I give you some tips on being Santa?" And you do almost expect him to kind of roll his eyes or whatever, and he's just like, "Yeah, shoot." <laughs> like so, even Santa's just like, eh, "I'll hear this guy out and see what he has to say." Santa's polite, always a pol- except when he's beating the shit out of people. <laughs> That was such an unexpected scene. I I'll, well, like before we talk about any of the shrink stuff, I guess we have to talk about how like I, the mental illness is a theme in this movie. Very much so. Yeah. So like th- this is the this is the thing. Like, is this guy Santa, and everything he says is true, or is he a nut? And one thing I really liked about this film is that many people put forward the idea that whether or not you think it's true, he's Santa. Just let him think he's Santa. Let that true be true for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like he, he's, he doesn't seem to really. Aside from, yeah, 
I wanted to say he doesn't seem to be hurting anybody, but back to the scene where he hurts somebody. <laughs> so when he gets hired for Macy's, part of Macy's... Well, they pers- make him do a psych eval because he puts on his HR card. He's like, yeah, I live at the North Pole and yeah. my closest relatives are the reindeer. So they're like, you got to go see our, our store psychologist. Is, yeah. I wrote, do stores have <laughs> psychologists? When it turns out they don't really. He... He works for Macy's, but his job is merely to apply a personality test. He basically asks them to do their Myers-Briggs. Yeah, like, what the hell? What is this? Like, this is a little pre, what color's your parachute? I didn't know that they would do this for any job placement back in. Or would this, would this, because he's going to be working with kids. Is this supposed to be a substitution for a criminal background check? Yeah, maybe. But immediately, Santa picks up on this guy and doesn't like him at all and kind of starts to critique him while performing the psych well, test. Well, he knows he's a quack. You can, he can tell he's a quack. It's true. Yeah. And the psychologist hates him for doubting the, his his authenticity, even though it's true. He's not really a psychologist. He's just some dude who works for Macy's or like a lawyer or something like that. He's nothing important. And he's going to get found out. So he punishes Santa. He's like, Santa is crazy. You got to lock him up. And that kind of is the the main premise of the movie. That's why it's Santa on trial is because this fake psychologist insists that Santa be uh, locked up in, you know, Bellwoods. In the Bellevue. Bellevue, sorry. Bellevue. Yeah. At one point, one of the character go- characters goes, clang, clang, Bellevue. And I, I wonder if that was like an expression at the time. Like that's the streetcar where it's like, clang, clang, you're on your way to Belleville. I mean, a lot of towns that had uh, famous places where they you know incarcerated mentally ill people that would be part of the local lores that you could be sent off there yeah this is a time where it seems like uh just committing somebody was just easy as pie yeah like you could just... <laughs> just sign a piece of paper yeah where it's like this psychologist doesn't isn't like this person's next of kin nobody nobody looked at that hr card and called comet or blitzen to ask whether they thought santa was a danger to himself or others they made a wild judgment call. Uh, and I mean, come on. Santa showed up and he touched his nose a bunch of times. <laughs> like that's... Yeah, that was a big part of the psych <laughs> test is whether or not you could touch your nose. And Santa just kept doing it for about five minutes. Yeah, I recognize this from a field sobriety test, but I don't. I don't. I did not know that this was part of a where it's like nothing makes you look more sane than just touching your nose over and over. <laughs> I thought at least they'd maybe do a scene where they do some like, uh, you know, Warshot tests, right? Where he's just like, what do you see here? And he's just like, eggnog and cookies. Yeah. And like he could give some really, that would have been a good scene, right? Give it, I guess, I don't want to give, I don't want to. <laughs> Am I too late for notes on this movie? It was made. <laughs> 70 years <laughs> before ago. Before World War II. Years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's never too late for notes. Yeah. Even though many, most of the people who are responsible for this film are long since dead. Do you want to, well, do, okay, well, do you want to talk about the 90s remake? I barely remember it other than Matilda is in it. Uh, And you kept on calling her Matilda. And I was just like, hey, she does important activism work. Look up that actress's name. It's Myra Wilson. I did look it up. Hey, good. You remembered it. So there you go. I remembered her name. Nagging and haranguing you. Put her name into your head and now you know it. She plays like the Soviet little girl. And I don't remember if she's as intensely an unbeliever or anything. And it's hard to imagine what the department store plot would be exactly. I don't remember any of that. It doesn't take place in an department store? I don't know. I have no recollection. Or he's not a department store Santa? I literally just, I know I have seen this film. Yeah. And I know Matilda is in it. (laughs) But she's not the magic person in this film. She's 
just a regular little girl who doesn't believe in magic at all. And that's all I remember. And I guess that's a kind of an interesting role for Matilda to take. The, it's kind of the opposite. But we didn't review that movie, and I, I haven't seen it in 20 years. So Remembering things and remembering movies is not your strong su- suit, so I can't say that I'm like shocked, but I am maybe a little disappointed that we don't get to compare and contrast, that you don't. You probably would have saw it when you were a kid around the same time you were watching The Santa Claus and all these other 90s Christmas movies. That will have to be for season two of your podcast. Yeah, we'll have to revisit. Yeah, I had yeah, I had questions, or I wanted to ask you whether the like the Natalie Wood character, or what's like what's the mother daughter relationship in the modern one, if you can remember it, or kind of what's what's supposed to be the the, like there has to be some sort of reason why they wouldn't like her. She would tell her daughter not to believe in Santa Claus, where it's like I really like that you pulled it out of your hat, where it's like oh well, there's supposed to be like an analogy for joyless Soviets. That's why they don't believe in Santa Claus in this version. So I assume they probably had to come up with some sort of thing. If it's the 90s, she's probably like a, yeah, like an 80s go-go businesswoman. I don't have time for Christmas spirit or... For sure. Yeah, maybe. And that's, I mean, that's also a theme in this one for the most part. This, she, I I actually wrote, the mom's got sense. At one point, she's like, no, my daughter has no time for silliness or fairy tales. She needs to be able to be independent and not rely on men. That was why it was important for the mother to bring up an unbelieving daughter so that she wouldn't ever rely on anyone else because she was a divorcee, the mom. She had to earn her place in the world. Men let you down. Yeah. Santa will. Santa is inevitably a man and he'll let you down. This Santa doesn't seem to let anyone down. No. He always comes through pretty much effortlessly. He's, pretty pit- he's just pitch perfect Santa the whole way through. He just... The scene where he hits the, the psychologist with a cane. Uh, I did not see that coming because definitely in the run up to it where he was saying, because he has been such a just completely gentle, polite, sweet, couldn't like just couldn't imagine hurting a fly. So when he's having the exchange with the psychologist and he threatens to commit him, Santa's going on his little tirade, like not a, not a tirade, I shouldn't even say, but he's just telling him like he's just like, you, sir, are arrogant and you are rude and there's only one thing to do with men like you and I almost expected the answer to be like continue to be polite and then it's like whack <laughs> he just smacks him around the face oh. with the, the handle of his cane and it's amazing what it was real shock for sure Santa shouldn't be going around beating people up <laughs> it's a real surprise <laughs> and it really lends this guy was- quack it's true it's true in the context of the movie it makes perfect sense this guy did however if a medical health professional threatens to commit you don't hit them like i feel like that's it's probably not going to work in your favor if you start doing that i suppose oh and uh santa is crashing with his lawyer bachelor style that's right because santa needs a place to stay because he's hard up out of uh well i guess the north pole but seemingly an asylum or you something said like that yeah oh it's an old it's not it's not even an asylum it's an old person's home oh okay actually and the oh. doctor is the head of geriatrics now i feel dumb because i do remember actually seeing that it's like shady pines old folks home or no shady pines is the one that uh <laughs> that's where uh <laughs> sophia gets keeps getting threatened to go back to on golden girls to send sophia to do, but he's yeah he's in an old folks home yeah, he, the, like that, he puts it on a card that that's where he's from. And then the handsome doctor comes and talks about it. He's like a parody of handsome. He's his chin is so cleft into a valley that you could like have a a sweet valley high high school drama in there. In there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think on the first night when Santa and his lawyer are chilling at home, I thought that they had a bedside humidifier, but they were smoking. It's like, oh yeah, it's the forties. Yeah, the lawyer lets him stay with them, and that's how he gets hooked up as his lawyer. 
Again, because he wants to become the husband of Doris. Oh, I remember uh, I wanted to talk about the fancy head of toys, the toy manager who hires Santa, because he is the first option that Santa considers as a place to live. And he really wants Santa to stay and have a place to live so that he can continue to benefit from Santa's uh, like weird disruptions at Macy's that, that really help out this manager. So his strategy, because he thinks his wife won't let him hi- uh, have Santa stay over, is to get her extremely drunk. He's like, oh, I'll just, I'll just up the amount of alcohol I serve her at night. Instead and of double martinis, I'll give her triple martinis. Yeah, he eventually triples the amount of alcohol he gives her. And she is so drunk, she can't even hold a telephone. I don't know if that's good. That's not a great strategy. But she's down. She's down to have Santa stay with them. I, and it's like, and again, that seems like kind of pointless because, or it's like, it's there for the fact to make, like, to make us laugh. It's funny and I enjoyed it, but uh, there was never any danger of Santa staying in, in a room at these people's houses, right? It was so funny, but it wasn't necessary because he does end up staying with the lawyer who lives next door. It's much more convenient. And they have like a little, like double, two, two single beds in a room. It's kind of like a, I love very, Lucy I love bedroom. Lucy, yeah. yeah. Real cozy. Imagine having santa as your college dorm roommate that's basically what this was he like hangs his santa hat on the door and you have to stay outside and wait for him to get done with i guess mrs claus (laughs) when there's a hat on the door me and mrs claus are entertaining Not entertaining. They're not swingers. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's like I have to remind myself too that you can that you can cut anything out else out. So it's like it's okay to just take a moment and breathe and be like it always feels like a disaster when yeah. we're recording. Yeah. No, all this will be cleaned up in post, and I'll hire an actress to replace you and me. <laughs> I like how mad she is at a lawyer in the end. She's furious at him. She's like, I can't believe you would defend a nice old man. How dare, How dare you? you? I I loved I loved the whole courtroom scene. I thought everything that happened in the courtroom was great. Like the laughs from the peanut gallery and all the jury and everything, and everybody's just like having a blast. It's a real casual court. What was what was what was this trivial uh, Santa Claus on trial thing? replacing like some they had like a slow court docket that they're letting this go on it's like some really important uh like discrimination case or something that was being pushed aside so that they could decide whether or not santa exists <laughs> it's like uh we got this uh double homicide that we're uh, supposed to be tri- <laughs> trialing right now no it's important that we determine whether this is santa i wanted to talk a little bit about some of the weird things that the little girl has like her little weird habits uh for instance not knowing how to imagine things yeah like we come out of the gate and her mom doesn't let her b- believe in santa claus and it's just like okay well we've we've seen this before but then we realize uh, this goes deeper down the rabbit hole and she doesn't really allow her daughter to imagine anything yeah, or she's to just believe not in anything to, as far as i can tell she would get in trouble if she pictured anything in her head that wasn't i guess in her immediate vicinity we've established no fairy tales no fairy tales no imagination so santa's like here's a crash course on imagination basically gives her an improv class <laughs> i was i 
I've done improv class. And I, I always hated say, the, the animal practice. I'll respect to Natalie Wood, rest in peace. But that's the worst. Both of them are doing the worst goddamn monkey impression I've ever seen in my life. I guess I'd never <laughs> seen a monkey before in 1947. <laughs> this girl just went to the zoo. We established it where it's like, what, no, no monkey house in the New York Zoo in 1947? To be fair, she's pretty new at imagination. Yeah, or it's or I guess I just like how you should be nice to us because we're new at podcasting. I guess I should be nice to Natalie Wood. This is her first go at a primate impression. Another <laughs> thing, she doesn't believe in presents or gifts. She, oh, is that established too? Yeah, or they always kind of like Jehovah's like, Witnesses. What do you Witnesses? want for Christmas? She's like nothing. It doesn't matter. She's like, <laughs> she's like gifts are for the bourgeoisie. <laughs> No, when Santa finally, when he finally does get it out of her, come on, what do you want, kid? She gives her, uh, he, she gives him blueprints to uh, a Sears Roebuck house yep. that you can uh, build your own. She, she wants a suburban build your own house. bungalow style. She wants to escape the urban hellhole. This film, another theme of this film, they have film, a beautiful New York apartment. Yeah, like or yeah, that that apartment would cost so much money right now, but. Uh, a theme of this film is white flight from urban centers. This little girl, her main goal in life is to live in a suburban house. To es- and she's like ten years old. It's like just at a time of rapid uh, real estate inflation, and just like it, it did. It broke, broke my heart having this little girl who's like, "How about a yard? <laughs> a yard to run around in? A yard would be really nice right now." Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, no, that, yeah, that hit harder than it probably should have in Christmas 2020. Yeah, I thought it was really weird that she could ask for a doll or whatever the heck little girls wanted in 1947. But she's like, no, bungalow. Yeah, it wasn't clear whether she was just like, I got like where it's just like my mom. I don't want to be away from my mom's oppressive Soviet belief system. So I want my own or like as a rebellion. She's just like she's gung ho American dream. Because her mom's not into that. Yeah, that's right. She she doesn't want to be in a, a little pinko box in, in the sky. Just like how Charlie wants to go into the family business and be Santa. Like we have a theme of like children both rejecting their parents' lifestyles and values and embracing their parents' lifestyles and values. Absolutely. Yeah. Christmas movies really put the child-parent relationship front and center. It's not a hot take to say Christmas is about family, is it? <laughs> It's about family. It's about family on this Christmas where most of us are not going to be able to see our families, unfortunately. That's true. Or take a look around you. The family you got, the family in the room, the family, the family that's within earshot telling you to turn off this podcast because you're playing it too loud. What is this garbage? (laughs) Shut it off. What are you listening to? Stop believing in Santa. That's enjoy. That's your family for the next little while, at least, or throughout the Christmas season. We're your family now. Yeah, we're your Christmas family now. Also, did you think it was weird that the little girl saved her gum? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to. Where it's like no, like where it's like I think this may be like no believing, no imagination, no fairy tales, no believing in Santa Claus thing might be backfiring a little bit because she has a a hoarder bubble gum box. <laughs> yep, that's just her hobby documenting the gum she's chewed in the scene where santa gets a piece of bubble gum do you think he got a fresh piece of bubble gum or she just like pulled a little piece off her wad hurt <laughs> a, a, a tasty vintage piece yeah. <laughs> i also kind of thought um the best part of this santa uh was his beard because it was real it was it, i think it was real for sure and was stiff uh, as fuck right i like how in the courtroom scene 
he's trying to establish like uh i'm a pretty santa e santa right and he's like i'm kind of like the other santas you've seen and he's like well i've never actually seen a santa with a real beard and it's like ouch like way to use <laughs> that was funny how they were using santa's real beard against him as a mark of his inauthenticity yeah a real santa wouldn't try so hard <laughs> he reminds me of fashion santa like you know the handsome yes, commercial santa because he's like a, a really uh good beard and Santa in this movie spends a lot of time out of uniform in his civvies and his his uh his dress his, his the way he dresses is very sharp he's wearing a lot of full three-piece suits and overcoats and he usually has a nice hat he is a bit of a fashion Santa himself I found he looks sharp yeah a sharp dressed man he's a sharp dressed man <laughs> oh, oh, oh uh in our in in our corrections and omissions uh it turns out that there are zz top covers of christmas songs this is something that it does indeed exist there is a it's a San- santa dressed man i think is the sharp dressed man cover or sharp dressed santa claus not a reach at all we'll have to share our favorite zz top christmas songs on the insta I uh we don't have to edit it out, but I almost want to edit out the shout out to Fashion Santa because uh he's done some interviews and he's a he's a fucking dick bag. A lot of Santas are dicks. Yeah. That's another part of this podcast for sure. He's a I think he's a bit of a fucking dick bag. Uh or I want to petition <laughs> Cardigan Sweater, Dorky Took, Fat Tim Allen Santa is the real hipster Santa. <laughs> right? <laughs> he looks good. That was a good look for That's sure. That's a much better archetype for, or what are we? Just, we're just talking about like thin Botox Santa is fashion Santa. Another thin white privilege Santa. Sorry, go. <laughs> a big Santa question that comes up is um, the first night that the lawyer and Santa sleep together in separate beds. Get your mind out of the gutter. The lawyer asked Santa, hey, Santa, do you sleep with your beard tucked in or, or out? And I could not understand that question. <laughs> yeah. And then I realized it's like... Cause it, it, uh, inside the covers or outside yeah, the covers. Yeah, do you keep your beard in or out of the covers? And I didn't realize that Were was... Were you thinking in or out of your mouth? <laughs> like... <laughs> I had no idea. I didn't realize that this was a question people asked is like, how do they manage their beard and blanket while sleeping? Yeah, I guess like it's a, a thing like, do you do you have when you're do you have the blanket kind of somewhere around your chest or do you pull that blankie right up to your chin? Are you a chin sleeper or a under the arm blanket sleeper? I put it over my head. Yeah. <laughs> Just completely covered. <laughs> Just cover it like a like a dead like a sheet over a dead body in a morgue. Good night. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I like I to have... I attached a little string and tag to my toe, too. It's... That's how you sleep? That's... I like to be labeled. Or that's a bizarre relaxation ritual. That's a... <laughs> or again, it's 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 a pandemic. It's 2020. Like, if your lavender and chamomile tea aren't cutting it anymore, and you need to do some elaborate, some more elaborate bedtime rituals to find yourself winding down. Morg cosplay. Yeah. <laughs> We've established that Santa gets gets into Macy's shakes things up by telling telling people when there's no when the particular toy that they want santa's like is that the store more radical santa politics yeah this is is what i'm talking about he's like all about like corporate disruption he he's at the store and the kid asks for whatever a fire engine and santa's like we don't have that here but you know they have it at gimbals and everyone at macy's just freaks out until somehow this makes macy's popular and it's like kind of a weird form of like corporate charity basically yeah, I, again i don't know what to make of this scene or what this is trying to tell us or i was very yeah very bemused by these well santa it, it, it appears that santa has done good and made 
shopping more equitable for these two giant corporations. And everyone's happy. And like Santa's like, yes, I've, I've accomplished this thing. While the actual people, the bosses at Macy's are really like, we're making so much money by, by pretending that we're nice. Yeah, that's the thing that most excites them. That it's, it's all about the image. Santa doesn't care if you actually are nice. He just wants you to act nice. I wanted to talk a little bit about one of my favorite sentences that the lawyer uses when describing uh, Doris, mm. which is your lovely intangibles. Did you hear that? No. Oh, yeah. Just like those those Referring things. Referring to what exactly? The intangible. Those things that are not oh, the, quite graspable yeah. about yourself that are just lovely. I thought that was a good line. I thought it was a euphemism for her yabos when you said it. So I'm glad that it was about it's a more personality driven compliment. Things can mean more than one thing. <laughs> uh, at first, <laughs> another weird parallel that doesn't work because Santa's nice, but um, no one wants to represent Santa really at first. That's why he has to get this weird kind of like lawyer. And this lawyer even loses his job for representing Santa. And he's made me think that Santa is basically like Trump right now. <laughs> like he's having a hard time building his credibility he keeps claiming something but provides no actual substantial evidence that it's true uh what do you want i'm santa there's this weird link to the post office <laughs> that's what i said there's like weird i got i just there was this weird feeling throughout the movie that that's that there was uh, it was sending me some sort of message or it was definitely secretly signaling at some symbolism that I didn't understand. Yeah, there's a lot of weird politics. So the judge, and one thing I always forget about U.S. judges, because this isn't a thing in Canada, but a lot of judges are elected in the United States, especially at the state level. And this judge is a Democrat elected judge, and he's up for re-election soon. And that sets the stakes for for this judge he knows in his heart that santa doesn't exist that's how he's convinced but if he rules that santa doesn't exist his campaign manager that's what he is that's what the guy is that's what uh what's his face from my love lucy is he's the campaign manager right and he's saying to to the judge like you're gonna lose if you say that santa doesn't exist yeah it's a pretty intimidating speech or uh that's where listen up whiskerpuss comes from that's right (laughs) the speech that he's given him where he's like uh yeah sure in an election year go out there and tell all the little kids that santa doesn't exist good move so santa's on trial and it's really fun to imagine this this is a real kangaroo court yeah Speaking of kangaroo courts, I like the spinning headline that had like 18 comedy Ks on it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> crazy Christmas kitties. Or oh, yeah. Like something about, crazy some, Chris Kringle. Yeah. Crazy Chris Kringle. Something about uh, proving proving or disproving Santa's lunacy. I wonder if there are any people who are really... Because that was always a thing, right? Like, I mean, the Ku Klux Klan kind of ruined it. But you Thanks. substituting Cs for Ks and making really long sentences was was totally a thing that used to happen. And... That's a art form that we can no longer do. On the scale of like white people ruining things, comedy Ks is somewhere on that mosaic. White po- white people ruin everything, the big thing, the small things, the important things, the unimportant things. So what evidence do they actually provide that Santa is real? Like none, to my knowledge. Okay, so his name is Chris Kringle. But prove that he's fake. Like this is <laughs> this is the problem with this whole 
this whole court proceeding where it's like it's hard to do it either way you'll agree which is like why they shouldn't be doing it at all in the first place the burden of proof says the the prosecutor the burden of truth is on santa to prove that he is he is santa until proven not santa santa until proven guilty yeah that's the legal stakes is that it's on santa to prove it because i guilty until proven santa yeah Guilty and proven Santa is actually how this has been <laughs> framed for sure. Yeah. I got there in the end. So his name is one. Uh, or what are he legally other... is Chris Kringle, right? Yeah. Like he's, he's got some sort of documentation to prove that that's his legal name. Yeah. Or no, just, just that that's somebody he says just said... his name. That's like, it's my name. So I have to be Santa. People think he's Santa. So he has convinced people he's Santa. Therefore he is Santa. Well, it's a dick lawyer too. Who's just like your real name. And it's just like, what a dick. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's trying to prove Santa doesn't exist. That is not a good look. My favorite part. There's a few favorite parts in the court scene. Um, but when they bring the, the lawyers, the prosecutor's kid gets called in as a witness. <laughs> yeah. He's like, so the dad of this kid has to prove to the kid that Santa doesn't exist, but he can't bring himself to do it. So he's caught. He has to. The implication is that Santa exists because we have to maintain the lie for children. And legally he exists because wink. I like this tactic where it's just like, you're going to do this in front of your own kid. Yeah. It worked perfectly. And this kid is so pleased that he's fucking up his dad's job. Oh yeah. He's oh this little ham. I think he's, it's established earlier on that he doesn't like his dad or something. Is it? Yeah, that he has trouble. He could be with precocious, or he could be willfully blowing up his dad's spot. It's hard to tell. He's just mad at his dad that he's trying to uh, mess with his his Santa. They didn't have a scene where the kid swore on the Bible, but they did use a gigantic what I assume is a Bible as a booster seat. Yeah. For him, so. It would have been maybe had a, a good like maybe a scene where he uh, put your butt on the Bible and swear. <laughs> <laughs> I want to bring that into courts where it's like rub this Bible on your butt and swear to tell the whole truth, the complete truth and nothing but the truth. It's a real intimate Bible experience. So that was the, the, the main evidence I was thinking of, like the kid. And then, of course, the letters. So the whole case ends this up. This decides the whole thing. Yeah, this the whole decides case the whole hinges thing. On, on whether or not Santa exists and just kind of out of nowhere we, we cut to the post office in a mail sorting room we got like it's really it's dark a, and dingy. A, it looks like the worst job you could ever have does x mail sorting machine yeah <laughs> davis x mail sorting machine yeah 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 <laughs> um because right at the end where it's just like oh god i don't know if we're gonna be able to prove it's santa <laughs> we have these like two guys these two like kind of rough looking mail sorting guys who are like what do you what do you get what's your take on this whole santa business and they realize they have all these letters to santa I like, or like it's the he's he's like oh hey it's a he's notes it's the first uh piece of mail that they got that uh it, or they get santa yeah, yeah santa mail all the time but it's the first one that's uh, addressed to the courthouse yeah and i like how he didn't know that uh he he obviously hasn't seen the, the spinning newspaper headlines he hasn't that checked. we've seen where it's like hey haven't you heard he hasn't checked Big twitter santa yet trial. yeah he hasn't checked the Twitter for the Santa trial updates. Speaking of checking Twitter, uh, I have since been informed since our last episode that uh, Kirstie Alley is uh, maybe not such a great person. <laughs> uh, I called her Christie Alley throughout the entire fucking episode, so I mispronounced her name 
20 to 30 times. So I'm sure her being like a borderline anti-masker, I guess we're even. <laughs> Touche. She also had some problems with like the Oscars policy or people pushing for diversity. Oh, like when people were like, Oscar's so white. She's like, I have something to say about that. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So <laughs> I wish uh, Kirstie Alley and all conservative women a speedy recovery. <laughs> so the whole case basically gets the turn because these two guys are like oh we got all these letters from santa we should ship them off to the courthouse yeah like i love how it's like definitely as the audience this has been framed like or uh, later on in the courthouse they're just going to be like wow like this is the post office thought it was so important to and it's like no man they're just trying to get rid of these letters you would think or uh i don't know what's the legality i guess they uh is it a sentimentality thing or a legal thing that they cannot just throw all these letters in a big wood chipper and that they're sitting in sacks in a back mail room i don't know i don't know yeah. what happens to dead santa letters in real life that's a good question yeah. i don't know if you know, people in the states do this but when you I write a mm. when you write a letter to uh, santa you, you direct it to the north pole and the postal code which is how it's like our zip code uh is is h o h O-H-O. Oh, absolutely. Ho, ho, ho. And like... They don't have that in the States, so you're correct. That's a... It's a it's a Canadian thing. But I think, honestly, it's supposed to be a thing that if you just write, like, Chris Kringler, you just write Santa Claus and you pop it in a mailbox, it mostly... It, it gets sent there, right? Or it gets It's like a hotel to... key? You just <laughs> yeah, put it in a mailbox? Just, it's like, yeah, it's just your... Like, you just put it in a mailbox and it'll get there eventually. But it's just, what do you mean? I, I guess I was referring to act, the actual North Pole. Although, no, and they'll just send it there. But I, Or maybe it does just get rerouted to the Canadian one. Are there lots of confused little boys and girls who think that Santa lives in Canada? He does. He lives at the North Pole. And uh, so long as the magnetic field holds out for a little while longer, that's in Canada. I feel bad that I don't know my enough about my world geography. We have, like... Or we we own we own a bit of that tip up there, but I wasn't sure whether like what's what's up top, Antarctica or Antarctica's at the bottom. That's the bottom. That's the bottom. Yeah, Antarctica is the bottom. The Arctic is the, the top. top. <laughs> oh, okay. Don't move on. I I want to make a BDSM joke about the the, the 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 our poles. I think you just did. Yeah. Oh, thank God they never switch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So these schmucks at the post office send the letters <laughs> to, to the courthouse. And then the lawyer gets this great idea and he just talks up the post office. Apparently, the U.S. Postal Service, according to this lawyer, is like the central part of the U.S. economy and makes billions and billions of dollars a, a, a year. That Yeah, that number blew me away where it's like the post office made a billion dollars last year. And it's like, did a billion dollars even exist in 1947? <laughs> And the lawyer is basically saying, if these letters are directed to Santa and the post office is the single most trusted institution in the history of the United States, if they think Santa is Santa, Santa has to be Santa. If the post office knows that Santa exists, how could we ever doubt this institution? And I really wish we had that kind of faith in the U.S. post system and like, 2020 and we wouldn't probably have as many shenanigans it, it was wild that it was supposed to be like well the post office has so much authority and it's just like we just watched the scene where it was just two guys yeah like, it, it was, was literally just... it wasn't like the head of the u.s post office it was just a mail sorter <laughs> it's such a funny toss-off because it's like hey has that hey this is a great chance for us to get rid of those letters 
Or again, it was supposed to be seen as this just like, we have to do something. Santa's in trouble. And it definitely was just like, hey, you know what would be funny? <laughs> 58 mailbags. <laughs> All those fucking letters that we can't deliver. <laughs> I'm so glad they accidentally saved Santa. Or yeah, like, or it's, 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 it's supposed to be seen as an act of authority or possibly like an act of like kind of a support towards Santa Claus. But yeah. in actuality, it's just, uh, it's like, again, another uh, agent of chaos or Absolutely. another. But it allows for a real good, you know, courtroom kind of flashy That's move, the scene. Right? Or like when we were talking about how it's been parodied over time and time again. All the sacks of letters from kids to Santa that are dumped on the judge's desk. And that's so convincing. Just piles and piles of proof that people believe in Santa. Yeah. Which I guess for this judge is enough that Santa must exist. We think, therefore, he is. He's very, uh, if there's going to be a Santa, why not me? Why not now? And now that Santa legally exists, it's now okay for the Soviet mom and her daughter to believe in him. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, like uh, Natalie Wood writes her letter being like, I believe in you now, Santa Claus. And Mama writes her footnote where she's like, I also believe in you too. And he's like, yes, yes, got them, yes. That was his only, he, there, these two single people of all the millions of people in the United States needed to be convinced that Santa exists. Mission accomplished. Good job, Santa. And... Also mission accomplished for the lawyer because he gets to be with the mom. Yeah, he had devices on her from the beginning. Yeah, and yeah. he, he successfully gets it in there. Hey. And they're off to escape New York. <laughs> get it? Get to Long Island. And uh, they the, <laughs> the little girl is, uh, believe, like, is like starting to become convinced of Santa, and, but then is totally, totally rejected in her her newfound belief because she doesn't initially get the house for christmas that she wanted the poor little girl didn't get her fucking condo uh for christmas like she requested and she's really sad and heartbroken until of course it all works out and the the newly minted family drive and come across the exact house that the little girl had always wanted um and it's (laughs) They're driving through the neighborhood and she screeches like, stop the car. That's my fucking house. (laughs) The mom and the uh, the mom and our lawyer are just like completely bewildered. Like they're just like, what do you what do you mean? (laughs) Did she (laughs) did she buy this and put it on in escrow and we didn't know or. (laughs) And because it's like 1947 and the economy isn't 2020, they're like, well, I guess we'll buy a house. And they do. It's just like done deal or yeah thank god it's a thank god it's a it's got a for sale sign and it's clearly an open house because she just barges in through the door <laughs> or the the mom's trailing behind her and she's just like yelling over her shoulder like check out this living room i already picked out my bedroom i loved going into open houses and planning out an alternative life there i asked you whether you had much of a chance to do that when you were young uh my parents are prolific movers yeah. so i went to a lot of open houses so this is definitely like a vivid childhood memory for me walking around and through empty other people's house. memories and <laughs> walking through an empty house being like, well, which bedroom would I pick out? Yeah. This one would be mine. I spent a lot of time deciding whether or not any particular house was haunted or not. That was the big question I always You had. would go in during an open house and I would I would just see is this house haunted? Because that's gonna be a big factor about whether or not I want to move into it. Yeah. And have a, a friendly ghost as a friend. <laughs> 
now that the little girl has like been convinced of Santa, she she has such a weird personality because she's chanting in the back of the car like, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And she's basically going into like a fugal trance about well, Santa belief. I think it's so funny that like Santa gets accused of being crazy. He gets accused of being a lunatic. And during his psych assessment, he like turns it around on the psych guy and says, you know, if there's so- like sometimes when there's something a little wrong with you, it comes out in weird neurotic ways. And he's referencing the fact that he's got trichomania and he's just tugging on his eyebrow 24 seven. Like he's just he's just mad that Santa calls him on his shit. And he's he's right. Yeah, uh, I think it's funny that we've seen that Santa's also he's supposed to be this good force, but he's also like just really kind of stressing people out as well. Oh, so yeah. he's like made this girl who, or we were kind of making the assumption like, Oh, this little girl is not allowed to believe in Santa Claus. She d- doesn't listen to fairy tales. She must be so poorly adjusted. And she seems to be on a r- real emotional dysregulation roller coaster. Now that <laughs> Santa's come into her life, her whole worldview is completely disrupted now. Yeah. She's heading for a crisis, but that would be for the sequel. Um, she is a much more severe than Matilda, that's for sure, as a as a person. Matilda has like a more like inquisitive well, I guess this girl is inquisitive. She's very curious, but she's just very analytic in her, her outlook. Also like a, a work like a uh, like a sing or I guess I don't know, maybe this is this is supposed to be the thing, right? She's a single working mom too in nineteen forty seven. So it's like don't judge me in the things I have to do or the yeah. things I have to believe, says Kirstie Alley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i know that we're supposed to want the mom to believe in santa and everything but i feel bad for for her because she's worked so hard and like she's basically given up her whole life by the end she's she's gonna get it with this man and rely on him i like i mean you i mean i make the joke about the kid requesting the house but like you i mean that sets the that sends sets the ending up right where it's like how's this kid gonna get the house in the suburbs and it's like well her mom's gonna get married right she's gotta yes it all worked out just perfectly she's gotta play matchmaker for her mama yeah and we're like oh how could santa plan all that no one could believe it but his cane is in the corner of one of the rooms in the house when he says I love your ineffable bits or whatever he says to her at the end, is that yeah. is that from the ending speech? No, it's in the middle. Oh. At the ending speech he's like <laughs> yeah, I love your ineffable bits. <laughs> I love your ineffable bits. I don't know if I want to stick to that phrasing. Uh his ending speech uh to her Or I don't know, he fell in love with her being like the woman she is. But it's really funny, like he he's needs like, to change her. Yeah, or he's like, you believe in silly, dumb things now, and I love you. I love you. <laughs> he needs to convince Doris that Senna exists because somehow that is, in his mind, connected to him getting with her. If Santa exists, she can believe in herself being married to, to the lawyer. Somehow, yeah, that's, that's wild. That's, yeah, like that's the, whole, the logic of the, the movie. The whole court case, basically, or the reason why he takes it up is because he's like, or he's just like, well, I like this, I like this woman and this kid, but I don't know if I can. <laughs> I don't want this gray Soviet existence where we're never celebrating Christmas or yeah. <laughs> a kid that doesn't believe in Santa Claus. How? But I did. Yeah, I guess that's it. I didn't realize that that was like a bit like a big motivator for him. One hundred percent. Yeah. His motivation. How did you? F- like that's the movie, right? Like mm. Santa gets in there at Macy's, fuck shit up at Macy's. He's a disruptor. Yeah. Um and because <laughs> he's like a Santa as corporate disruptor where he's just like synergy. Did you feel 
Christmassy with this movie. This is Christmas. I, you know what? I, and I, you as a Christmas film. The original jab was that we weren't gonna, we're not gonna watch a black and white movie, and it's. I don't know whether I'm exposing my my juvenile mindset, but it's like, how do you have a Christmas movie with no red and green? <laughs> it's true. There was right. no red and green in this black and white film. But it was Christmassy. I mean, uh, it's uh, think of all black and white Christmas movies as having a silver bells patina. Exactly. Right. The Santa is the most authoritative santa we've seen so far the funniest santa we've seen so far he's really I good bought it. <laughs> i bought it riding crop rain and sinker hook line and sinker <laughs> oh god i was happy to be recording during the day because i'm like i'm gonna be i'm gonna nail it i'm gonna be so much better during the day and it's like i don't know i guess in the editing bay we'll see if that this remains to be seen i felt good at this movie i liked it a lot more than i thought i would yeah it was pretty funny. It was yeah. When I saw that it was a like dra- designated as a dr- drama comedy, I was like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> I thought right. it would be a lot more maudlin than it was. Yeah, actually, it's funny. I did. I it's I did. I thought it would be a a sentimental tearjerker, and it's not like at all. There's almost no. There's none of that really. Very little. Well, the yeah. the main problem with the protagonists like the mom and the daughter is that they aren't sentimental at all they don't really have open hearts so i guess they get a little bit uh get of that by the end but it is not the, the movie is mostly about santa just being smarter than everyone else the real chemistry and the real romance is between chris kringle and albert yeah our, our two santas yeah oh i, I our, really our, liked albert. our father and son santas <laughs> that's true dad santa and son santa yeah I, I love the scene where he defends Albert's mental health or like. That's right, too. So <laughs> well, that's well, that's the thing that sets him over where actually I, I said like the big threat that Santa was P.O.'d because he was threatening to commit him. Yeah. But in actuality, he was more so, again, talking about putting neuroses in people's heads. And this is what the doctor was doing. He was putting all of these neuroses into Albert's head and making him seem like he's a fucked up, no good guy. And I mean, from the brief scene that we saw with Albert, he's a treasure. He's he's obviously fine. I I thought that was really interesting at first. Be- before the film is established, that it's established that the uh, the guy who's psychovaling Santa isn't a psychiatrist or a therapist or anything like that. Um, the film has like a real like anti psychologist, anti shrink perspective. I was like, wow. Um, considering the last movie we saw had John Travolta in it. Uh, this film probably would be a lot more appealing to Scientologists. Yeah. <laughs> or I was maybe a little worried where I was just like, oh, geez, what happened? What What's the thing that happened before Scientology? Is Was that movie made by one of these people? And like, we're about to get an anti-psychiatric message here. But uh, I don't know. I, uh, mental health is important. Kids go get help. But this guy was a quack. Santa's like, Alfred, you don't need psychology. You just had a terrible past life on another planet. He said that I uh, hated my father and my fions are all out of whack. <laughs> <laughs> I like this movie. I'm glad we saw it. It made me happy. Yeah, if you put off watching Miracle on 34th Street because you thought it was going to be a, a, uh, an old of a movie, or <laughs> if you put it off because you thought it was going to be a sentimental cheerjerker, if you thought it was going to be any of those things, it's 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 funny, it's cute, or again, it's... Uh, <laughs> uh, st- I don't want to say this on my film review podcast. It's the Citizen Kane of Christmas movies. 
It's a Citizen Kane of Christmas movies. Not in, not from any sort of a technical perspective, but just from the fact of like, you thought you were going to hate it because people blow it up so hard, but it's actually good. It's actually good. It's actually good. <laughs> that's a glowing review. You can, that's my, that's my five-star review for Look Who's Talking Now and my five-star review for Miracle on 34th Street. Me and, with two thumbs up. It's actually good. And for Citizen Kane. And Citizen Kane. It's actually good. Should we pull out the churro meter, stick our finger in and see where we're at? Yes. Like now in the cruel light of day, I'm upset with myself that I gave Look Who's Talking Now a nine out of 10 because where am I going to? Am I going to give am I going to give Miracle 30 on 34th Street a nine out of 10 as well? It's the same caliber of Christmas movie as Look Who's Talking Now. Am I prepared to say that? Which one made you feel more cheer, more Christmas cheer? I've, it's a different type of Christmas cheer. Is that a cop out? Is that a weird answer? Well, here's the thing for me. Christmas for me isn't really about whether or not Santa exists. That's not important. And that was the main theme or one of the main themes from Look Who's Talking Now is that the belief in Santa Claus that it, I want to call him Max. That's not his name, is it? Mikey. Max. I'm sorry. I just, Max that, that was so accusatory. You believe. don't have to. You are never going to remember all the stupid Mikeys and Jimmies and all the, the, the child actor character names that we're going to encounter over the next couple of days. In my head, all little ragamuffin kind of like misbehaving blonde boys are named max anyway mikey uh doesn't need to believe in santa claus he needs to believe in his family and that's what christmas is all about is family yeah i don't know like it's that's not a that's a hot take not a hot take this is or i guess it is now or it's important to talk about because again we're having like our first christmas where we're not or uh, i'm projecting to everybody, lots of people. I'm sure lots of people are going to be like Kirstie Alley and go see their family <laughs> during the holidays and not listen to the lockdown order. But we're not going to like so. Yeah. We're we're it's 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 intri- or it's sad and interesting to watch all of these Christmas movies and realize that you know big spoiler alert that a big theme of Christmas is family. Yeah. And we are. We're facing a holiday where a lot of people are potentially maybe not going to be seeing any of their family, but they're prob- probably definitely not going to be seeing the volume of family that they've seen previous or your family get together is not going to look like it did last year. No. So we got to make do. And I really like that about Look Who's Talking Now. This film, family was there, but not in a way that felt authentic or gave me the same feeling of closeness and intimacy actually so in that sense this film was lower in my rating of chirometer uh it does feature some anti-capitalism which is nice but it seems to be i was gonna say it's anti-capitalism brought to you by macy's yeah so i'm not sure really about that either i'm not gonna give as high a rating as (laughs) look who's talking now that's still the top contender the top dog is look who's talking now (laughs) This one gets a seven, gets seven Santa whips out of ten. Reindeer riding crops. Yeah? No? It was a whip, baby. (laughs) It was not a riding crop. I didn't see it. It was long, eh? It was a bullwhip? It was a bullwhip. Okay. Santa's really good with the bullwhip. It's a skill, because he has a lot of time off in in the summer months, so he gets to go to Burning Man. I feel like that's a skill a lot of Bernie Man attendees have. I wanted to make a some sort of like leatherworks harness joke about. Oh, are you trying to say that Santa's a like a kinky guy? 
I don't think I'm trying to say that. I don't want to say that. No. I think the film might have been trying to say that. I think you were trying to say that. I did I did indeed say that. So I said 7 out of 10 on the cheerometer. I want to give it an 8. I want to give it a 9. I have to rate it as high as Lucas talking now or I feel like no one's ever going to let me I'm going to someone's going to dig this up and no one's ever going to let me review movies ever again. If I want to have some sort of career or uh, in kind of like this movie, sometimes you have to just like boldly stand in your truth, regardless of how it's illogical and people don't understand it. So uh, does it get a nine as well? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Or I will. Yeah, I will say like this is this. It was different, different in the same way for me on the Christmas cheer meter All right. So we've got another another nine. And looking at it from a more objective perspective, I mean, this is this is a Christmas classic for everybody, or this is a family Christmas classic. This is it, 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 this movie doesn't need us to come on our little Christmas podcast and call it that. But but here we are making our little Christmas contribution. Everyone can contribute to Christmas, and we're contributing a nine out of ten from Jess. A lowly set. I feel bad about a seven, but I stick by it. It did not. It made me feel good, but it did not make me feel as Christmassy as Look Who's Talking Now. Made me feel more Christmassy than our first two films. So that's where I'm at. Made you feel more Christmassy or less Christmassy? More, more... Christmassy. It, it... We also have to like we have to look at cumulative Christmas effect overall. Oh, that could be happening right? too. I could have Christmas residue. Or I, I, it's, I'm just kind of doing it as a rough average mean, where it's like the first two movies were not, I didn't, and then I skyrocketed up. And now, so I'm I'm at a high level at a nine, and since I rated this one at a nine, I'm continuing my high coasting Christmas cheer. So, if we Christmas collects in your liver, so you got to be careful. Yeah, <laughs> Christmas, like a heavy metal, can accumulate in your system and cause poisoning over time. I feel like we've talked the movie out. I feel like we've given our ratings. Do you know where you you can find our social medias, J- Jess? We are on, you can follow us on Instagram on you'll podcast your eye out on Twitter or at your eye out. We're available where fine podcasts are sold. You can go into your Christmas podcast market and say shopkeep your finest Christmas podcast. And he'll pull this one down from the shelf off of iTunes, Google podcasts, Spotify. All the major hits and some of the minor ones make sure to make sure to rate us real good be gentle because as we said this is our our first foray into podcasting our first foray into our podcast boot camp we're doing a lot of editing on the fly do you want me to tell the people what movie we're doing next time yes i want you to tell us what movie we're doing next time i have potential bad news we're making a return back to the 90s but it's not really bad news because we have another christmas classic that's coming an undeniable christmas classic what's that for the next episode, uh-huh. we're going to be doing John Hughes' Home Alone. Uh, I feel like I just got aftershave all over me. No, I'm excited. Are you excited for this one or is this one too obvious? I don't care that it's obvious. Okay, Christmas is obvious. There's nothing subtle <laughs> about Christmas. It's true. It is the... Uh, it is one of the most flamboyant. It's the Liberace of holidays. <laughs> okay. So next time we're going to be talking about Home Alone. Yeah. Yep. And we'll see you then and we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.